1: Is there such a thing as healthy deconstruction? And then we spend some time venting about what grinds our gears.
2: What makes someone an adult? And later, it's Friday. You know what that means a top five list. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday,
1: friends. Welcome to The Common Good. here are on AM 1160, Hope For Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us at the end of the week. We have made it. The month of September is coming to a close here soon. I feel like we can see winter on the horizon, but we're still in beautiful time of year. We're still in beautiful beautiful time time of year, year, but
2: I know there is the temperatures dropping. Things are changing. I know we, but we can't think about winter yet. We can't, I can't allow myself to go there. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Yep.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Let's just
2: enjoy this fall and how beautiful it is.
1: So there was a Twitter string the other day, and that's where I want to start. The uh, Christian Singer hip hop artist by the name of Lecrae. Uh, Are you a fan? Were you a fan? Have you ever been a fan?
2: I have been a fan. Like I've listened to Lecrae songs on Spotify. I, um, but I've never seen him in concert. Like if you asked me to name a Lecrae song, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But I and I follow him on social media.
1: Okay, well, on social media the other day, thank you for that ramp, uh, that that open door there on social media. The other day, Lecrae had a long kind of uh, tweet thread, Twitter thread, uh, in which he endorsed, quote, healthy deconstruction that embraces scripture. And he even went so far as to say Christ did that himself. Uh, Lecrae said there are two types of deconstruction happening in the church. One is healthy. The other is dangerous. One type of deconstruction actually involves using scriptures to deconstruct unhealthy ideas and practices. Christ did this by deconstructing the Pharisees' interpretation of scripture. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Mm. using scripture to challenge... Uh, he said, on the other hand, he wrote, many millennials are using culture to challenge scripture. Mm. This often leads to culture making taking precedence over scripture. And sadly, people begin to deconstruct yeah. themselves right out of the faith. We begin to question the Bible because it doesn't line up with culture. Unhealthy. Nine times out of 10, this type of unhealthy deconstruction begins with church hurt. Racism, sexism, mm. abuse of power, et cetera, give way to a need to make sense of things. And the last thing people want to do is use scripture to make sense of these failures by church folks. So he, uh, there's much more to what he says. But I found this fascinating because we talk often about this phenomenon of deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to say, hey, we need to be more nuanced. We need to be more specific and say that there is healthy deconstruction an unhealthy deconstruction. And for him, the tipping point is the use of scripture. Uh, so react to whatever you want to there from what we read there from Lecrae about deconstruction.
2: Yeah. I mean, I actually think he has his, his finger on the right pulse of deconstruction here. Like, again, I, I don't think deconstruction is anything to be afraid of, but I think the the end game is what we're, we kind of are concerned about. And this is something that you've said before, Brian, that, we want deconstruction to lead to reconstruction, mm-hmm. right? And if it leads to just like tearing down and never building back up, then that's when it is sad, devastating, people lose their faith, leave their faith, et cetera. Um, but if if we can, using scripture, you know, really identify where we have as a church gone wrong, where we have not aligned ourselves with the teachings of Jesus or with Jesus himself, then I think that that type of deconstruction is deeply healthy for the church. But I think he's right that we are using something outside of scripture to be our ruler, our guideline, our judge. And that's that's not healthy or good. But to use scripture itself makes total sense to me. And he's right. Jesus did that. Apostles did that. Uh, that feels like the right version of deconstructing.
1: And we all do that. The reformers did that. We all do that without calling it deconstruction, I think. But what do you think about what he termed the unhealthy deconstruction? Because I think this is a lot of what people are talking about when they talk about deconstruction. I never really heard it said, but it makes sense uh, that it, it is taking culture and not scripture to be the lens through which we start deconstructing our faith. I think he's right that that's probably the majority of what's going on when we talk about this and that is the way that often doesn't lead to a good spot.
2: Yeah, I, I I this is why I said before I think his his finger is on the pulse of deconstruction that we're questioning the Bible because it doesn't line up with culture um and and instead it should be the other way around almost, mm-hmm. right? Like like let's use scripture to challenge culture instead. And I but the other thing I think so interesting that he said, Brian, is nine times out of ten, deconstruction begins with church hurt. And I think that's I mean, I don't know that I haven't done any data or research on that, but at least the people that Kevin and I have have ministered to and met with that are deconstructing, it typically is a story of church hurt or church disappointment or well, Lakrae is saying that what culture is saying is beginning to speak really, really loudly. And they're struggling to, Mm uh, they're struggling to really make sense of a faith that does feel so counterintuitive to culture. I would say specifically around issues of like identity, sexuality, that kind of thing. Yeah, And so the why I think really, really matters when we are, um, walking with people who are deconstructing, like getting underneath, like, where did this start? What is this coming from? Because I think there's a wound there that Jesus wants to heal. Right. And then um, the second thing is somehow, I think, especially for church leaders, small group leaders, those of us who disciple others, et cetera, we have to raise the value of God's word so that the word of God becomes the authority over culture, not the other way around for the Christian. Yeah. and, and, That's something that we need to grapple with. How do we do it in a way that's winsome, compelling, but says, look, like God's voice has to be the loudest voice in some of these things that are complicated and confusing.
1: And let's talk to the people that, like, should we be scared as pastors, or here's the hard one, as parents, when we see somebody in the next generation who might be a part of our church or might be a part of our family starting to deconstruct in such a way? Should we be worried? And what role should we play? Like, how do we make sure that that happens in a healthy way?
2: Yeah. So I, yes and no. Should we be worried? I mean, I think any of us who see our kids or our best friends walking away from the Christian faith, like that should cause concern. We love them. We want to see them Know Jesus and experience all that God has for them. So I think just to say don't be worried is probably way too naive. Like you see your kids going in a totally different direction than you raised them and wanted them to go. That's heartbreaking. That's shocking to a parent. Um, But I do think like there are some things we can fall back on, one, we can trust God. God is not surprised by deconstruction movement. Mm. God is not threatened by deconstruction. The gospel is not threatened by deconstruction. Like the gospel stands. Jesus stands. The spirit of God stands. And so for the those that we love, I mean, we need to be praying and loving. And I, I think the other thing is some of the basic things we know relationally. You're not going to argue somebody back to faith, right? You're not going to like convince somebody. But if you can walk someone through your, their journey, I mean, Kevin and I have a whole group that meets together every Sunday night of deconstructors. Huh. And if you walk with people through their journey and listen, I think you find it's not so shocking. Right. And then just point people back to Jesus, point people back to God's word, point people back to like who Jesus was. Ultimately, I some people are going to walk away from the faith. But ultimately, I think what a lot of deconstructors are looking for is a purer, truer version of Christianity, and that's a yeah. good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so wanted to start there because this is kind of an evergreen topic that we as the church and as parents with teenagers or younger are going to be facing going forward. Uh, I think helpful words from Lecrae here about that. All right, Aubrey, uh, I want to share, I want to talk about what is the role of a teacher, whether in the in a school, uh, in a church, or whatever else it might be, wherever it is that one is teaching. And I want to set this story up this way. Okay. Uh, uh, somebody close to me shared a story the other day uh, of, here, see if you can follow me, of something one of their children's teachers said. Okay, so this is middle school. This teacher said this uh, to the class, to the students, because it was... Uh, Some students were struggling uh, with, uh, it was math, right? So they were struggling with some math, the concepts, there was a quiz, not all of them did well, that kind of stuff. You ready for what the teacher said? With pride, the teacher said, uh, by the end of the year, most of you are going to be getting C's and D's. And maybe even failing and said it with a pride that said and said it with a pride that that was like, you guys won't be able to keep up like this is about to get hard. And my first thought and the person I was talking to agreed with me was that's just the sign of a really bad teacher, isn't it? That's what
2: I'm thinking like, did you just decide to stop teaching? I don't understand that at all.
1: Isn't the role of now? I'm not one of those parents and I know you are not as well. Who's like. My kid has to get an A at all times. Every kid should get an A, right? Like, no. Yeah. If they're not, yeah. if they're not doing, you know, it is what it is. But if your whole class is doing sub average level work, that feels like that's an indictment on the teacher and that's not the student.
2: Yeah. So last year, my son was in a math class that was really, really difficult. Your daughter actually came and became his tutor and like saved that the day. True. But He was one of 30 students that were really, 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 really struggling in this math class. Post-COVID, lots of kids struggling in math, right? Um, But what I didn't know until I talked to another parent was that this teacher is sort of known for being extra hard and not going the extra mile and helping students in need. And that was – I'll tell you how naive I was and maybe how trusting. That was the first time when I was like, oh, maybe this is the teacher's fault and not my kid's fault. You know what I mean? And I, so I do, I think it's on the teacher. Like if, if you're willing to say with pride, some of you at the end of the year will have C's and D's. Most you of don't you need to be, you most should of you shouldn't be a teacher anymore. Like, I think the goal is you don't necessarily need to create these perfect students who only get A's, but like, if you're not willing to work with your students so that they're comprehending the material, to me, that's problematic. Like you shouldn't be a teacher.
1: Thank you. Because I feel what's like...
2: What's the philosophy? Like, what's the... Is oh, there a- I think
1: there's I think there's a badge of honor to being the tar- the hard teacher. And I'm okay with yeah,
2: okay. hard
1: teachers. I'm sure. okay with hard uh, subject matters. Yeah. All of this stuff. But if you're not then going to go above and beyond, right. and actually look in the mirror and go, gosh, maybe C's and D's are my problem, not the right. students' problems.
2: Right. And I also
1: bothers me i'll go on a tangent here where's the principal in this situation as well i'm kind of wondering that
2: too i feel like someone needs to say something to the principal honestly it's
1: the old beauty uh or lack of beauty of the tenured teacher as well here yeah uh, i guess so in place so uh let's take this to what you and i do people may not know this we are pastors Uh, (laughs) first of all when you go to another church and speak or speak at renewal church Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you view yourself as a teacher or something different? Like, how is it the same? How is it different?
2: Yeah, I view myself as a teacher, definitely. Um, But but in comparison to a school teacher, how is it different? It's a really good question. I mean, I guess the subject matter that I'm teaching is the Bible, right? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. since I see myself as a teacher, my goal is to get people to Comprehend God's word to comprehend the the ancient culture and the ancient audience how they would have comprehended God's word, and then to feel uh, feel and think, be moved in action to live by God's word. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would say the the primary my primary role is of a teacher. I know other people might say no, they're more of a apostle or an evangelist or something like that. Um, I think what is different about it is that co-laboring with the Holy spirit who I know is at work in people's lives and is going to be strong where I'm weak and is going to say things to people. And they're going to interpret things I say in ways that like only God can control. And, and what's different too, is I don't need anybody passing a test, right? Like we're not like you need to comprehend this. So you go to heaven. No, like that's, that's anti-gospel, but I do want people to fall in love with Jesus and with the word of God. Yeah. Um, But if I were to ever like taking it back to this teacher, if I were to ever go into church and be like, I don't care today if people really understand God's word or get excited about God's word. I I got to fill this time for 30 minutes. And let's be honest. I mean, preachers who preach week to week to week to week, of course, some of that is there. Like you just got to get the job done. But at the end of the day, if, if, you are proudly saying to the people you're leading and teaching, "Look, I don't really care if you get God's word. Uh, you know, I don't. This is a C or a D message I'm going to give to you. Meh. I'm I am no longer a worthwhile teacher." Do you know what I mean? Like I just yeah. I I've disqualified myself because you want people to thrive and be empowered yes. and be equipped and And
1: understand. Yes.
2: Yeah. Understand. Just comprehension. Yeah.
1: We've all been in those churches though where it feels like the pastor's mailed it in. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you could see it a mile away.
2: Oh, you see man. It a mile away.
1: So what would you suggest this parent do? This is junior high, this is math class. Uh, uh, are your kids too old to go speak to the teacher, to go speak to the principal even? Uh, are you encouraging your child to do that? Are you trying to get a tutor, work harder? What? What is the parental role when your child is under the umbrella of a bad teacher?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you immediately write the teacher on behalf of your child and just say, right, look, that was really disturbing to me. Help me understand what you mean by that because I don't need my child to be perfect, but I certainly don't want my child leaving this class with a C or a D. To me, that says you're not interested in teaching them. So did I misunderstand you? Like, I, I would be very direct about that. From there, I probably would go to the schools. Like, a lot of schools, I, social work is not the right word, but there is, there's an aide, there's a vice principal, there's somebody who actually, it's their role to make sure teachers are doing what they're supposed to do. So I would probably go to them if the teacher doesn't give you a good response. And then ultimately you have to advocate for your kids. So that may mean pulling them out of that math class or getting a tutor like we did in the case of our son, Eli. I did write to that teacher. I didn't get a great response. And so I just said, you know what? We're going to hire a tutor. We're going to advocate for him on our on our own. And Madeline From came in and saved the day. Um, <laughs> yes, but she did. I, but I do. I, I, I think at some point. Students do need to learn to advocate for themselves, but at the level of junior high, I just right. would, I would be the parent. Cause sometimes I think teachers like that too, aren't taking the kids seriously. So yes. even if you're, even if your child went to them and said, Hey, I, I really do want to do better than a C or a D. I don't know. I think they would probably laugh them off. Maybe I'm making a lot of jumps here, but I think as a parent, you absolutely wholeheartedly get involved and advocate period. I want
1: my, be- my best story of a teacher mailing it in when I was in yeah, high let's school, hear. let's hear hear. When I was in high school there was a uh, social studies teacher who at that point was old so this is okay. 25 30 years ago you know uh I had a classmate whose parents grew up in the same small town that I grew, that we were living in right this town called Long Valley in New Jersey so this this classmate's mother had not only gone through the same high school that we were in but had had the same teacher okay, okay. Happened to be one of those types of people who saved all of their stuff, right? Like I would, I, you know, the day I graduated high school, I threw out all my high school stuff, but some people save stuff like this was in the attic or in the crawl space or whatever. They found the old notes and stuff from when the mom took the class of the same Uh teacher Uh that the daughter was in right there. The notes were identical.
2: Stop it. Are you kidding me?
1: Are you kidding me right now? Are you
2: are you kidding me? So 30 years later, nothing been updated, changed, nothing, added nothing changed. to, edited. It was, you remember those, those projectors we had
1: where you put it on uh-huh. and it projected oh, yeah. out like a glass up? It was the exact same wow. notes. So hey, wow. if you're a teacher that's out there, owning it in. please don't be that teacher or that pastor. And look, pastor. we love
2: our teachers. This is not an anti-teacher. We love our teachers. We are pro-teachers, pro-administrators, yeah, but don't be, be that We're just against teacher. bad
1: teachers. We're yes, just against bad it. teachers. <laughs> That music can only mean one thing: it grinds my gears. it's grinds my gears. I got a lot
0: of problems with you
1: people. Now you are going to hear about it. Here is what: for those of people who are not familiar with our show, grinds my gears is simply this. We know there is big problems in the world. We know there are major things like a war in the Ukraine or immigration issues or inflation. Uh, all of these are much bigger deals, and we talk about all of those things. But there's also little, little things that just bother you, that just bug us. And that's where yes, we yes. step in with Grinds My Gears. I do have a couple to just kind of of things that have happened this week. Do you have some that you're, you're willing to share as well?
2: I I yeah, there's actually one that it's from the past but I haven't gotten to vent about it yet and I w- I would like the opportunity to do so. So that okay. I'm excited about Grindsmakers. I like getting to be petty on air with you, Brian.
1: And people should know this and you and our executive producer Keith Conrad got a text from me at the end of last week. <laughs> Because kind of the signature grinds my gears that one of the more ridiculous ones that I vented about a couple, oh gosh, months ago now, was people who push their pets in baby strollers.
2: And people uh, might right. go,
1: people might think that never happens. Oh, contraire. I was sitting outside <laughs> having a lunch meeting with somebody the other day and was completely distracted by an older <laughs> couple who was pushing their small small dog in a baby stroller. In a baby stroller. And then they sat outside and ate with said baby stroller and dog in it right next to them. No, they didn't.
2: Are you serious?
1: Yeah, it raised a couple questions for me. The obvious. Why would you push your little dog in a baby stroller? Yep, yep. But two, these people were like 75, 80 years old.
2: Do they have a baby stroller for the dog? Oh, good question. They must have purchased a baby stroller just for
1: yeah. the dog the only wow. other chance is grandkids but i'm not feeling that one i think they bought this stroller for this little dog
2: you told us you tried to take a picture but it would be a little too conspicuous so you weren't yeah, able it was to a little awkward it. i wish we I had couldn't a picture like, can of that can dog? i get a
1: selfie here <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, and the, you and the dog and the baby stroller in a photo i want to see that one day hey ma'am
1: will you be in my be real let's do this <laughs> uh, all right here it is yeah i'm gonna go okay. first And I've touched on this one before, and earlier this week, I brought you into, in probably a dangerous way, into a Panera bathroom. I want to bring you into just (laughs) the generic restaurant or gas station bathroom.
2: Okay. All right. I, I love all these bathrooms you're taking me into. Thank you, Brian.
1: Aubrey, to probably a disturbing degree, I hate when I go into a bathroom and it does not have paper towels. But it only oh, has the hand dryer.
2: Oh, the hand dryer. They say that's a, like a germ festation. It
1: is. And here's place. what I don't like about it. I think people do this because they like to pretend that they care about the environment. And in <laughs> reality, it's like yeah. paper straws. Paper, yeah, nobody, performative. Na- there is not one person out there who enjoys paper straws at a restaurant.
2: No one enjoys paper straws. right? No,
1: I love plastic straws. Same. If you give me a paper straw, I'm drinking straight out of the cup. Like I'm not going to use a straw.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, they disintegrate. I feel the same way in the bathroom. Nobody likes the hand dryer
2: Yeah, versus likes the paper hand towels.
1: Nobody. You sit there sticking your hand under this thing. As you know, it's blowing germs, but also it never actually does its job. So which what is- do you do?
2: Do you just like shake off and go?
1: I'll use the hand dryer if I need to, or I'll just wipe okay. it on my pants or whatever. Yeah. When yeah. I, and I've, here's the funny thing. This is bad. This is might be parental malpractice. I've conditioned my son to hate the hand dryer and love the Stop paper it. towel.
2: Stop yeah, it. We,
1: you know, run a family trip. So him and I will go into the bathroom while the girls go, you know, stopping at a yeah, gas station Yeah. and he'll be like, dad, paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if other people feel this way. Like I do out there. I despise the hand dryer. Aubrey, this is wow. non sanitary and probably gross for me to admit. Wow. Sometimes I'll skip washing my hands if there's just a hand dryer <gasps> there. No,
2: no. Yeah, yeah Brian, I just can't always handle Always wash it. your hands. Oh,
1: no, no, I no, can't no. handle it. You
2: always wash your hands and no, then you I'm shake gonna, your hands, Brian.
1: I'm going to take my chances. That's how much I hate the Brian. hand dryer.
2: Wow. Yeah. You feel strongly about the hand dryer. Wow. I do. Okay. All right. I do. Okay. Well, All right, you're this up. is the essence of grinds my gears. Okay. Wow. Well, Mine feels way. Mine feels more serious than yours. Okay. That's okay. It always
1: is yours. Always it always
2: is. is. I know. I always have a bone to pick with someone. Don't I? It grinds my gears with someone. Okay. So let me set the stage for you. I'm a professional author. Okay. That means I get paid to write books. Yes. I'm, not you do. Saying I'm a rich professional author, but like you've I made am. more money than
1: the rest of most of us. Yes.
2: And I, uh, Do that as part of my living, which means I'm trained as a professional author.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yes.
2: So this is about to get petty. (laughs) Yes. I once had a professor who gave us a very short word count. And as an author, I take word count very seriously because for me, it's part of like a contractual agreement. You honor the word count. And, um, and this professor didn't, uh, because the word count was short, you couldn't do everything you wanted to do in in a paper, okay? So I did my best, and I uh, used paragraphs to transition from topic to topic because he didn't allow for subheads, things like that. Okay, I know this is getting a little complicated, but I'm going somewhere. He once responded to me, just so you know, a paragraph, and he put it in quotes. Our, reader, <laughs> our listeners can see that. A paragraph is, and then he defined what a paragraph was. And I, it's been a while, Brian, and I am still stewing on how angry I am that he tried to mansplain paragraph to a professional writer. And I never said anything, but I still to this day, am wondering if I need to write that guy an email and be like, look, bro. You He he was a young teacher. I don't think at the time he was even a PhD. I think he was a candidate. So he was new, very earnest, very eager. There's a part of me that wants to be like, we need to have a talk about the way that you treated me in your class and the way that you talked to me and put the word paragraph in quotes.
1: But you should write that. You should do that that in an email. You should do that in an email, (laughs) but just keep making new paragraphs. And then, like, just over and over and over again and then be like, is this correct? Is this what you wow, were speaking of?
2: Oh, That's such a good idea. I should do that. And then put a yep. lot of words in quotes. I should put a lot. <laughs> Once you put a word in a quote, it's condescending, right? Like, unless you're actually using a quote, to say, quote, paragraph, or to say, quote, coffee cup, like, anything you put in quotes immediately is condescending and sarcastic, right?
1: Oh hundred percent okay thank uh,
2: you because that's you how exp- it read
1: so ironically i i'm not joking here but i need you to explain something to me i okay. know what the concept of mansplaining is uh-huh is there the reverse oh. is there woman-splaining where maybe oh, my wife or somebody uh, yeah. might explain something that is usually us yeah. men don't understand
2: Yeah, I, yes, I, I actually think there is, but I still think it's called mansplaining. Like (laughs) not fair. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's really not fair, but I think it's become a term now used for anyone who's like, well, actually, and they're explaining blah, blah, blah to you as if you don't know anything. But unfortunately, it's, I do think it's now being used for men and women. Like I've, I've seen people online say my best friend mansplaining so-and-so to me and like the best friends a woman, you know what I mean?
1: Yep. Like I, yeah. Like yeah, we don't have a wa- woman's plane. My wife, on occasion, will critique the way that I load the dishwasher.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, that's and I don't know
1: if that falls under the category of, uh, or if this is only a one-way street. If mansplaining yeah. is only a one-way street, I, I okay. think it,
2: you know it, it's definitely way more way more a one-way street you know what i mean like it's not often that women are correcting wives and husbands that's maybe a different conversation have you ever how is your marriage wives and husbands husbands outside of this category i would say like categorically though it's men who feel the need you know you've Uh, seen this online like the professional athlete gets mansplained about swimming or whatever by all the guys on twitter and you're like uh women just don't do that to each other well actually professional swimmer what you mean you know but, yeah, wives and husbands might be out that's, of funny. That.
1: that's funny that's so right. all anyway, right that felt good. Mansplaining to, the paragraph it
2: to get that out. It felt good to get that out.
1: mansplaining the paragraph, and hey business owner, restaurant owner, a couple paper paper towels will really get you your Yelp review will be better. People will feel better about your place. Put the paper towels out there and not paper straws. Either. yeah all right. that's
2: right. Brian, we talked about this earlier in the show, but last weekend, my son went to homecoming Ah. and, uh, you know, he dressed very cool. He made a lot of plans. And it's interesting. He suddenly wanted all of these adult experiences. So nothing scandalous. Nothing scandalous. Okay. But like for the very first time, which is uh, maybe funny at 16 or maybe it's age appropriate at 16. I'm not sure. He, he and his friends went to a restaurant by themselves, right? So, like, they know adults. And and okay. so they were – Eli was even asking me, like, wh- now how do I tip? How do I – and I'm like, really? you to ask for a separate check. Here's how you calculate a tip. Like, make sure you use your manners. He didn't even know, like – the funny thing is, is we've had our kids, Hey, go pay the bill. If we're at restaurants Uh where you like uh walk up to the counter. So it's not like they don't know how to like hand someone a debit card or credit card or whatever, but like, he was very flustered about the whole thing. How do I make sure I, I am, he's like, am I paying for everyone or just me? I'm like, no, just you, you ask for a separate check. This is, you know, you do these things. And then, so that was like an adult thing he wanted. And then he wanted to stay at a friends party until really really late like past curfew so he wanted these adult things and it was very fun kevin and i were very happy to let him go do this stuff but we did have some talks with him beforehand about like okay you're asking for more uh experiences these are great you should do them but what that means is some things are at stake now like the The more you're asking for freedom, like some responsibility comes from that. And so we were talking to him about what it means to be an adult and how the decisions you're making now are are impacting the future, which, of course, I'm sure he rolled his eyes at. But you still have to have that talk as a parent. And so, you know, it's interesting having a 16-year-old, Brian. You've got a child a couple years older That's right. Navigating them trying to become adults and you as an adult trying to help them navigate. It feels like a whole new world of parenting to me.
1: It really is. So I am a couple years ahead of you. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes you realize, oh, it just happened overnight. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, wait, you're hanging out with, you know, your girlfriends and, uh, you know, my daughter. You know, now you're asking to go stay overnight. So, and you're like, whoa, 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 what just happened? You were just five yeah. years old, and then all of a sudden, I know. And then you're uh, taking them to college, Aubrey, and you're like, I don't no. know where they are. I don't know what I'm uh, going to trust that we I have don't know done what
2: they're this doing well with their time. Yep. Oh. But that is an
1: interesting deal. Uh also, by the way, just wait till your kid dates for the first time.
2: No, I am so I, – I mean, I want him to experience Exactly. Like it's I'm, a bullfight. But fan. it is – but I am terrified of it. I'm totally terrified of it. Okay, so when are we adults? That's the question that's on the table, and Nicole Eunice was over at Relevant Writing about that. She gives a few – I haven't read this to my son yet, but I would like him to read it. Here are some of the things she says – makes us adults. So it's not necessarily that you're 18, right? It's not necessarily that you're you're married, married, or you own a house, but other things make you an adult. This one is so good. This first one, get ready for it, Brian. Okay. You let your needs trump your wants. She says that all children share the same malady and inability to separate needs from wants. When we confuse yeah. our wants and needs, we choose short-term gratification over long-term satisfaction. Being an adult means knowing the difference between wants and needs. That's she a says, good what one. If, I thought that was so good. One of her 20-something friends told her, I knew I was an adult when I could put myself to bed because I had a job to do the next day. Don't you think that... That to me is a sign of like maturity for sure. And,
1: uh, so, my daughter, my older daughter who's at college, she's always had a bit of a, she's always pretty mature. But okay. with that said, yeah. it's been interesting to watch her go to college. Like, I joke with her, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in college, we were staying up just to go to Taco Bell or to play video games. Yeah. Like, we're dumb. And it's been interesting to watch her navigate having fun, hanging out, staying up. With, I'm getting up for school the next day. I got to do my homework. She's a million times ahead where I was in college, but it has been interesting to watch her go and have to even figure those things out a little bit.
2: Yeah, it, it's so, so interesting. I'm even as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, are we preparing our sons well? To, like, <laughs> you're not. So I don't, none of us are. Not. None of us right. are. By the grace of God, they'll be okay. All right, here's the next thing on this list. How do you know you're an adult? You embrace your limits. One of the most courageous things we can do as mature adults is embrace our limits. Nicole Eunice is saying this over at Relevant. It is easy to confuse independence with pride. Pride says, I have no limits. Pride allows us to believe we can treat our bodies with impunity, watch or listen to anything we want, ignore any Mm. limitations that feel childish. It takes courage and maturity to know our weaknesses and to create boundaries for those in, for those weaknesses and she uh, refers to the Apostle Paul in Romans 14, explaining that we must regard one another with kindness and without judgment for the decisions we make that keep us from stumbling in our faith. She says we can apply that reasoning to our own faith as well. Mm. And uh, being an adult basically means uh, regarding yourself with kindness and without judgment, and making decisions that honor your limitedness. Yeah. What do you think about yeah. that one?
1: Uh, it's it's true, right? Like, yeah. Part of the part of the beauty of youth. Uh, but also part of the, uh, drawback is you think you could do anything like you right. think you're, you could just do anything and it's just not true. And so understanding, yo, you know what, if I'm going to function well tomorrow, I need some sleep or, right. uh, no, I probably can't run a marathon right now or these types of things. I, and then the rest of them become much more serious, but yeah. yes, when you're an adult, you realize I can't do everything.
2: Um, which I'll be honest, that's still a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm like, I can do whatever I want to do. What do you mean? I can't do everything? It's right. like I think sometimes my husband has to remind me that I have limits, so maybe I'm not an adult in that area okay here's a here's one. This is a tricky one. You let your parents be human. This is how you know you're an adult. One of my bosses once told me, this is Nicole Eunice talking, if you can forgive your parents by the time you're thirty, you are an emotionally healthy person. Maturity looks like having compassion for the humanity of our parents. What do you think about that one?
1: It's true. I, and I yeah. think this especially becomes true when you yourself become parents because you right.
2: go, uh.
1: oh, you go, oh, okay, this is why my parents did this. Or, oh, okay, every decision I made wasn't completely thought out and whatever else. or And, and I think especially becoming a parent makes you look at your own parents differently. Just going, okay, totally, uh, totally. You know what? I probably every one of us needs some sort of therapy because of our parents, my kids included, right? It's just a matter of what have we done to them. And so you want to look at your own parents and go, they did the best they could and I'm super thankful for them. And I hope my kids feel the same way about me.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's, it's so, so true. And I think sometimes it, it does help you to have kids because when you see yourself parent, it gives you grace for your, your own parents, like you just said. Yes. So true. All right, here's the next one. You know you haven't arrived. A great sign of maturity is our ability to realize that we still have room to grow. I feel like another way of saying that is we, as an adult, you begin to know what you don't know. Yeah. And when you're a teenager, you really don't. I mean, people make this kind of stereotype of like, Teenagers all the time. They think they know everything. But I think the more accurate thing is they don't know what they they don't know. As right. adults, you kind of know, like, oh man, there's so much I don't know about this. I have such a limited viewpoint on things. That's there's right. so much I don't know. So that one I thought was a good one. Uh let me read the last one to you and, and hear what your thoughts are about this one. You've earned the right to make your own decisions. Uh with maturity comes responsibility, she says. Uh and if finding a job or paying your own cell phone or moving out of your parents' house, if you start doing that, taking on those responsibilities, then you've earned the right to make your own choices. What do you think yeah. about that one?
1: It's so good because we've all had those arguments with our children where they're like, I should be able to do this. And you're like, I'm paying for everything for you right now. And I part yeah. of my role as a parent is to help them uh, more and more and more uh, be ready to make their own decisions. but. You know, Mm -hmm. there does come a point in your life where it flips and you have to start making your own decisions. Like you can't be living on your parents' dime all the time. Yeah. Uh, And and so there comes that point. But yes, there does come a point where, okay, I'm an adult because I'm responsible for my own decisions.
2: Yep. Yep. That's right. All right. So, all of us uh, kids, adults, we can begin to take better steps towards maturity, maybe walk our teenagers through this list. And it's Friday. You know what that Mm -hmm. means. It is time for our top five list top five top five top five top five top five things with brian and aubrey all right brian why don't you tell the people what we're doing today for our top five list yep so uh top
1: five apps that you if you could only have five apps on your phone what are they now i want to give you some ground rules because it I would assume the vast majority of people would pick uh, the ability to make phone calls, check email, text. So we're taking those three off the table. You will have text. You will have email. You will have phone capabilities. Everything else, though, is on the table. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so... so no These email, only apps. no texting. Okay, only apps. All right. I think I'm ready, Brian. With so my we're leaving five.
1: the phone, the email, and the text are on your phone. That yeah. is understood. Yeah.
2: So uh, on but- top of that, you get five more.
1: You get five apps, and you cannot have any more.
2: <sighs> oh, okay. This is very, very hard, but I'm going with my number five. Okay. Which is going to be Amazon. The Amazon app, because that is where I buy the majority of everything. Amazon. Does uh, that count as an app? Did I break the rules or is that? No, good? no,
1: no. You're a hundred okay. anything but you have great grace other than the three I gave you. So yes, Amazon is perfect. Uh that is interesting because I guarantee you that would be on my wife's list, and I didn't even think of that. Not even honorable mention for me.
2: Wow. Okay. 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 All right. Let's hear uh, your My number five.
1: five. My number five is uh Google Maps. I am directionally challenged. Uh, so I need the ability to put an address into my phone and feel confident that it's telling me where I'm going, how long it's going to take me, when I will get there. So I need the maps. I tend to use Google Maps, but some okay, people use Google Waze. Maps. Some people yeah, use no. other ones. Brian, I'm going to keep Google Maps.
2: Uh, I didn't put that, and I should have. That's like a lifestyle one. That's like a yes. like protects you. Oops, I wonder if it's too late for me to change. Maybe nope, I'll add nope, that nope. as an option. Nope. Okay, it's done. Okay. Wow. Now I feel really silly for my number four because this is useless in life. It just entertains me. I am still one of the few people that use Pinterest as an app where I pin <laughs> things to walls. Nobody does this anymore, I don't think. But I am constantly on Pinterest. So I added that, but now I'm really like kind of regretting it because it's not very act- it's not very practical or helpful. It's more like entertainment. So Pinterest.
1: Uh- Speaking of not practical and entertainment, I will make you feel better. My number four okay. is the MLB app, Major League Baseball.
2: Oh, okay. That does make me. Because
1: feel a we better. have, we have, I've told you before that we have the MLB extra innings for DirecTV. So through the MLB app, I can watch games. So I could be out and about and I can watch the Mets play. I could check scores. Uh during the baseball season, there is not many apps on my phone I'm on more than the MLB app.
2: Um, okay. That does make me feel a little better. Cause that's entertainment and that, you know what I, man, Brian, now I'm really rethinking my apps because no, this is just your phone. Okay. Cause all of a sudden I'm realizing I don't have Netflix, but like no, I can phone. watch that on other things. So that's okay. Yes. All right. Here's my next one. Um, this is an app that I use a lot to post things on social media. It's an app called record it. And typically, I'm recording clips of sermons and posting them on our church social media, oh. on my personal social media. I use it so consistently as part of my work that I could not live without it. So the record it app
1: I need is to look the at, next one for this me. is going to make this is the difference in your world and my world. I not only don't have that app, I did not know of that app.
2: Oh wow, okay, okay, yeah, that does say different things about our worlds, but you should get it. I think it'd be record good for it. you. Okay. Yep, Recording. I'm in. Yep.
1: Number three. And uh, this one is just for more sentimentality. Uh, I would, I would, I want to keep my app where I can look at all my photos. I want my photos. So I am constantly going back and looking at photos of my kids, looking at our family photos, just kind of spending time. So keep my photos on my phone.
2: Okay. Photos. Man, you're, man, you're, you're coming up with way better ones than me. I'm feeling like a little bit like that did might
1: cons- not be an app. That one's a little bit of a stretch, but I I, I, I wanted to make sure to acknowledge it.
2: Okay. Yes. I'm going to for my own soul and sanity, I'm going to assume that's not an app, at least on my phone. Like I'm just going to okay. have photos anyway. Okay. All right. Number two, I'm going to go with Instagram. I could live without Facebook. I could live without Twitter. I could live without be real, but I love Instagram. I'm on it the most. I communicate with it a lot use it a lot for my platform, writing, whatever. So I'm going to go IG, the old Instagram,
1: the old Instagram. Yep. All right. My number two. Now I feel like I'm cheating like I did with photos. So you can yell at me if I'm cheating on this one. I, I want, I want my podcast app. I want to be able to listen to my podcasts. I want, I want as many of my okay. podcasts yep. right there yep. as possible. Yep.
2: You listen to the comma good all day. That's right. All day. All day. Okay. Okay. That's good. All right. Any honorable mentions before we move on? <laughs>
1: I have. Uh, I will claim this to be two and a half honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, my first honorable mention uh, is what in our family we like to refer to as the stalking app, the Find My Friends app, <laughs> where I can just see where my kids are, and uh, not because I don't trust them, but because sometimes it's really good to go. Okay, they're home now, or it's been really nice. I promised Madeline I would not look at it a lot, but it's really nice when your kid is two hundred miles away to go. Okay, they're still on campus. Great. Yeah, I know. That still, be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one, and I made this a combo, and you're going to see why, Aubrey, because uh, you know me well enough. Uh, I went with Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so,
2: how is that? How is that one app?
1: It's under one umbrella. Uh, the umbrella I would call iced tea. <laughs>
2: okay yeah yeah i'll give you that because of your your deep affection for iced tea if it was an
1: honorable mention i would have thought that was cheating but being honorable mention i'm going yeah
2: okay um, I didn't have an honorable mention, but I I feel like I desperately, I, I'm feeling really out of control that I didn't add Google Maps. It's, so I'm going to add that to my honorable you're mention. You're just going to be driving in circles on Pinterest
1: all day <laughs> exactly. going, I don't know where I'm going. Exactly. exactly.
2: <laughs> all right. So my number one is an app that I know you're not on, but I do more of my communication on this than texting, than phone calls, than anything. That is the Voxer app. I am on it way more than i should be i cannot live without voxer explain that is, to yeah, the for me.
1: explain to the older yeah. people in the audience yeah. like myself uh-huh. uh, explain how voxer is better than just
2: i don't know that it's texting. better i'll i'll be clear about that but voxer is um like a walkie talkie and and it records so it's like a voice text app your conversations are on Voxer with like, so I have a thread with some of my friends from grad school. I have a thread with some of my closest girlfriends, a thread with like colleagues here and there. And it it voice records what you're saying. You can talk back and forth like a walkie talkie if you're both on it at the same time. Or you can record a Voxer and then just listen to it later, respond later. So it's almost like you're having a phone conversation, but not in real time. And for busy people, believe it or not, it's really, really helpful because you can just kind of have an ongoing... Like Catherine McNeil, for example, she co-hosts for you sometimes when you're gone. She subs for you. She and I will have Voxer conversations going for like days at a time, but it's not constantly. Like we take breaks while we're working and then we come back to it. And it's just a nice rhythm for communication.
1: Okay. I like it. I like I'm it. I'm a fan All right.
2: of Boxer. All right, what's yours?
1: So I'm gonna give you my one social media one. I'm on more than any of the others, and that's Twitter. Uh I use it oh, for news, okay. I use it okay. for sports, yeah. I use it for show prep. Uh yeah. I would I, I would think I have actually thought about getting rid of Twitter for a while because
2: yeah, have. you've said that.
1: Because I think I'd be lost without it. And so currently, I I think I still need Twitter. Maybe the day will come where I do not.
2: Yep. Okay. All right. Well, those are our top five apps that we, uh, if we could only have five, that's what we would choose. Let us know your top five apps at Common Good Talk on some apps, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Brian, do you have any weekend plans? Anything fun? Not Really?
1: I I was thinking of that. Like we always have stuff, take the kids to this, take the kids to that. But it's not like we're going out of town for any reason. I'm hoping this weekend is like a mow the lawn, kind of have some time uh, type of weekend. How about you guys?
2: Yeah, we uh we have dinner tonight with uh, the Barnetts, Hannah Granowski Barnett and Aaron Barnett. He she's on the board here at uh, AM eleven sixty, so that should be fun. I, I'm not exactly sure what the plan is. Hopefully, Kevin has figured that out with them. And then tomorrow, I think we're just gonna chill. I had sick kids earlier this week, so hopefully everyone's just gonna rest and kind of enjoy the enjoy the fall weather. Maybe I'll decorate for the fall, Brian. Maybe it is uh.
1: It is not time time. to
2: bring out my pumpkin decorations. I know you're, you're never like a fan of that. Okay. So Brian, at the end of every show, as you know, we like to do something that'll either just make people laugh, kind of put a smile on their face or challenge them, inspire them somehow. And over at Buzzfeed, which I know is not like a hard hitting news place, but they actually have some entertaining things every once in a while, they're sharing the most impactful thing their therapist ever told them. And it's a pretty good list. I wanted us to go through it. I I am a fan of therapy. I am pro therapy. I know that there are people who sometimes have a stigma about therapy. I don't need it, but I I think anyone who's struggling with anything, individual, couple, family, ought to take advantage of therapists because God has provided them as like good doctors for relationships right. and for our souls, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and I think for like I think about my own life, It's often when there's been a lot of change that it's great. Like when Carrie and I went to marriage counseling when we had our first child 18 years ago, because it was like, oh my gosh, like our, our life is upside down right now. We need somebody to help us put it back together. But then also just, it's a good tune up. I remember when our church gave me a sabbatical and they were like, Hey, as part of it, I was doing fine, but as part of it, you go do some counseling and we'll pay for you and your wife too, as well, just to use this time productively. So I, I'm very pro counselor for sure. It's not like what we used to think where it's like last ditch scenario, like so that you don't end up in the divorce, you know, like, no, do it before that.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. So here's uh, the list from BuzzFeed. The best thing that therapists have told uh, the people, their clients, here's one. My therapist told me to visualize my five-year-old self and tell her the stuff I say to my present self every day. Only then would I realize how harsh I was being and how I was stunting my own emotional growth. That's interesting because I do think like, you you know, we're very hard on ourselves. I think I should be this. You should do this, look like this, act like this. You're so dumb, whatever it is. And imagine saying that to a little five-year-old person. You would never talk to a five-year-old that way. Like that would be so abusive and painful. Yeah. So to think about visualizing yourself as a five-year-old and re kind of rethink how you talk to yourself. I think that's a good one. That's, that's that feels good. good And it feels
1: weird. It feels good. And it feels weird. Like if I was in the therapy (laughs) office and they were like, you know, speak to the five-year-old Brian, I'd be like, what? Like, okay. But I'm sure for the reasons you said it is helpful.
2: Yeah. Maybe it could be like, speak to a five-year-old, your daughter, your son, something like that. It wouldn't have to be yourself. That could work. That could work. All right. You ready for another one? Yep. Okay. Um, You can't rationalize with an irrational person. That's good. Yeah, it's good. Because
1: a lot of our problems where we're trying to change other people, whether it be family, friends, churches, whatever. And sometimes you have to realize that not all the baggage and the control is on your end. It might just be you're dealing with an unhealthy person. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, it's sometimes not everyone that you deal with is rational.
2: Yep. Okay. That, I thought that was, re- that was really good. And sometimes it can make you crazy. You expend so much energy, but just to be like, Oh wait, they're not rational. So I don't need to keep like pouring myself out here. All right. Here's another one. You can become so accustomed to feeling depressed that you subconsciously sabotage things when they start to feel better. You can oh. unlearn that. The therapist says the key is not to shame yourself. I thought that one was really good. I I, I don't know what it's like to be clinically depressed. I never would uh, assume to like judge someone, but I do think that's interesting that you could subconsciously sabotage things when they start to feel better. I think a lot of people feel that way.
1: Yeah, because uh, for many reasons, I don't deserve a good thing or, well, a good thing's not going to last, so I shouldn't even get excited about it or just clinical depression doesn't allow you to. I think that's a good word. Like, hey, deal with the bad stuff when it comes, but don't make everything bad. Like, sometimes Mm. there are good things in your life that you can embrace and enjoy.
2: Yeah, that's good. Okay, here's another one. This one's a simple one, but I think pretty profound. Death isn't the only thing you can grieve. Hmm. Basically that you don't have to grieve just because you've lost someone, but you can grieve over other things that you've lost. I think a great example of that is like you can grieve over a job loss. You can grieve over a move. You can grieve over a breakup. You can like all kinds of things we grieve that aren't just about death. Um, certainly death is at the height of what it means to grieve right. when you've the, lost the someone most you final. love. Yeah, right. absolutely. But certainly I think anytime, uh, life doesn't meet your expectations and it's painful. You can grieve that.
1: Yeah. I think that's really fair because sometimes there's a guilt going. Am I allowed to be sad? Yeah. Am I allowed to be this? Well, you know, no, nobody died. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm as she's saying here, that's probably not helpful.
2: Yeah. All right. Here's another one that I think is so good. Uh, this person is saying they've always struggled with setting boundaries and saying no. And the therapist said, stop. Stop trying to give reasons just say no saying mm-hmm. no is okay i've heard another therapist say it this way no is a full sentence yes. so you don't have to say to people no because blah 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 blah. and i'm so sorry and i really but you can just go oh no that doesn't work for me oh no that's not gonna work for me like no can your no can be enough and i feel like i have to convince myself of that quite a bit
1: yeah like justifying hey this is why we're not doing this this yeah. is why. yeah Yeah, no, I I think that's a good one. No is Mm -hmm. a full sentence. That's 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 solid advice.
2: Yep. Here's another one. It's I think this person says it's just a thought. It's not the truth. I think you could do it's just a thought or it's just a feeling. It's not the truth. That can help us kind of move out of our like the the spirals of our thought patterns or our emotional patterns. I think that's a good one. That's good. Um, Okay, let's see you here's another one. It's important to learn who you are, but also who you're not. Mm. I find this, Brian, that piece of advice even helpful as a church leader, because sometimes I can find myself wanting to apologize, make up for, uh, I don't know, have feelings about who Renewal Church isn't, but I think it's just important to know as a person, as a community, as a family, as a church, who you are and who you're not, and not apologize for that. Like, that's okay. You are who you are. You're not who you're not.
1: That's fair. That's good. That's good. And that's hard to figure out. So you got to yeah. figure You got to figure out how to even know that.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Okay, here's one that my dad used to say, you're not going to solve anything at 3 a.m.
1: <laughs> that was <laughs> like... Good.
2: Nothing good happens after midnight, right? Yep,
1: yep, yep. Nothing (laughs) good
2: happens after midnight. Just like go to sleep, get some rest, and then your decision making will be a little bit better. Um, Okay, here's another one. I was really frustrated with myself for being quote too sensitive, and I asked my therapist what was the point of having feelings, and she said emotions are like the body's response to heat or cold or pain. They tell you whether you're in a situation that's good for you or that something needs to change. She says, this helped me become a lot less angry with myself, and I learned to respect and listen to my emotional responses. Mm-hmm. All right, so those are some good pieces of advice from therapists. You can let us know if your therapist, if you have one, has given you any good pieces of advice on our social media at Common Good Talk. All right, Brian, I hope you have a great weekend, listener. You I hope too. you have a great weekend. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life.